We've all gone to websites only to be presented with a pop-up asking if we'll accept the cookies. Well, did you know that by accepting those cookies, you're allowing that website to collect data on you? These websites will then sell your information to data brokers, who will then create a digital profile of you, which can be used by banks, advertisers, and scammers against you. Well, thanks to Incogni, you no longer need to worry about your data being stolen and sold. Incogni is a tool that will remove your data from these companies for you. All you need to do is sign up, allow Incogni to work for you, and they will contact data brokers on your behalf and guarantee that your digital ID is removed from the internet. Use the link in the description and episode notes and get Incogni today for $6.49 per month on a year plan and protect your data and digital ID. Between the essential reads and the English essentials, I spend a lot of time writing scripts. Now, I could do this from home, but it's a lot nicer to get out of the house and work in a coffee shop or a cafe. I could use my phone data to check articles and research for my scripts, but that can get expensive fast. It's so much easier to use the Wi-Fi at my favourite coffee shops. Well, thanks to Surfshark VPN, I don't have to worry about public Wi-Fi networks stealing my data. I simply choose from one of their 3,200 plus servers in 100 countries and continue working without having to worry about anyone stealing my data. Use the link in the description or episode notes to get Surfshark VPN today for as little as $2.30 a month on a two-year plan and work worry-free wherever you please. Hello and welcome to the Essential Reads podcast. I'm Isaac and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of audiobooks from your favourite classic authors such as Orson Welles, Robert Louis Stevenson, John Steinbeck and many more. Come join me on this journey to help get these books to the masses in an easy, accessible way. Let's start. The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger Chapter 5 We always had the same meal on Saturday nights at Pensy. It was supposed to be a big deal because they gave you steak. I'll bet a thousand bucks. The reason they did that was because a lot of the guy's parents came to school on Saturday, and old Thurmer probably figured everybody's mother would ask their darling boy what he had for dinner last night, and he'd say steak. What a racket. You should have seen the steaks. They were these little hard, dry jobs you could hardly even cut. You always got these very lumpy mashed potatoes on steak nights. And for dessert... You got Brown Betty, which nobody ate, except maybe the little kids in the lower school that didn't know any better, and guys like Ackley that ate everything. It was nice, though, when we got out of the dining room. There were about three inches of snow on the ground, and it was still coming down like a madman. It looked pretty as hell, and we all started throwing snowballs and horsing around all over the place. It was very childish, but everybody was really enjoying themselves. I didn't have a date or anything, so I and this friend of mine, Mal Brossard, that was on the wrestling team, decided we'd take a bus into Agerstown and have some hamburgers and maybe see a lousy movie. Neither of us felt like sitting around on our ass all night. I asked Mal if he minded if Ackley came along with us. The reason I asked was because Ackley never did anything on Saturday night, except stay in his room and squeeze his pimples or something. Mal said that he didn't mind, but that he wasn't too crazy about the idea. He didn't like Ackley much. Anyway, we both went to our rooms to get ready and all, and while I was putting on my gloshes and crap, I yelled over and asked old Ackley if he wanted to go to the movies. He could hear me all right through the shower curtain, but he didn't answer me right away. He was the kind of guy that hates to answer you right away. 
Finally, he came over, through the goddamn curtains, and stood on the shower ledge and asked who was going besides me. He always had to know who was going. I swear, if that guy was shipwrecked somewhere and you rescued him in a goddamn boat, he'd want to know who the guy was that was rowing it before he'd even get in. I told him Malbrasset was going, and he said, That bastard. All right, wait a second. You'd think he was doing you a big favor. It took him about five hours to get ready. While he was doing it, I went over to my window and opened it and packed a snowball with my bare hands. The snow was very good for packing. I didn't throw it at anything, though. I started to throw it at a car that was parked across the street, but I changed my mind. The car looked so nice and white. Then I started to throw it at a hydrant, but that looked too nice and white, too. Finally, I didn't throw it at anything. All I did was close the window and walk around the room with the snowball, packing it harder. A little while later, I still had it with me when I and Brosnad and Ackley got on the bus. The bus driver opened the doors and made me throw it out. I told him I wasn't going to chuck it at anybody, but he wouldn't believe me. People never believe you. Brosnad and Ackley had both seen the picture that was playing, so we all did. We just had a couple of hamburgers and played the pinball machine for a while, and then took the bus back to Pensy. I didn't care about not seeing the movie anyway. It was supposed to be a comedy, with Cary Grant in it and all that crap. Besides, I'd been to the movies with Brasser and Ackley before. They both laughed like hyenas at stuff that wasn't even funny. I didn't even enjoy sitting next to them in movies. It was only about a quarter to nine when we got back to the dorm. Old Brossard was a bridge friend and he started looking around the dorm for a game. Old Ackley packed himself into my room, just for a change. Only, instead of sitting on the armor straddle at his chair, he laid down on my bed, with his face right on my pillow and all. He started talking in this very monotonous voice, and picking at all of his pimples. I dropped about a thousand hints, but I couldn't get rid of him. All he did was keep talking in this very monotonous voice, about some babe he was supposed to have had sexual intercourse with the summer before. He'd already told me about it about a hundred times. Every time he told it, it was different. One minute, he'd been giving it to her in his cousin's Buick. The next minute, he'd be giving it to her under some boardwalk. It was all a lot of crap, naturally. He was a virgin, if I ever saw one. I doubt if he ever even gave anybody a feel. Anyway... Finally, I had to come right out and tell him that I had to write a composition for Stradladder, and that he had to clear the hell out so I could concentrate. He finally did, but he took his time about it, as usual. After he left, I put on my pajamas and bathrobe and my old hunting hat and started writing the composition. The thing was, I couldn't think of a room or a house or anything to describe the way Stradladder said he had to have. I'm not too crazy about describing rooms and houses anyway. So what I did, I wrote about my brother Ali's baseball mitt. It was a very descriptive subject. It really was. My brother Ali had this left-handed fielder's mitt. He was left-handed. The thing that was descriptive about it, though, was that he had poems written all over the fingers, in the pockets, and everywhere, in green ink. He wrote them on it so he had something to read when he was in the field and nobody was up at bat. He's dead now. He got leukemia and died when we were up in Maine on July 18, 1946. You'd have liked him.
He was two years younger than I was, but he was about 50 times as intelligent. He was terrifically intelligent. His teachers were always writing letters to my mother, telling her what a pleasure it was to have a boy like Allie in their class. And they weren't just shooting that crap. They really meant it. But it wasn't just that he was the most intelligent member of the family. He was also the nicest, in a lot of ways. He never got mad at anybody. People with red hair are supposed to get mad very easily. But Allie never did. And he had very red hair. I'll tell you what kind of red hair he had. I started playing golf when I was only ten years old. I remember once, the summer I was around twelve, teeing off and all, and having a hunch that if I turned around all of a sudden, I'd see Allie. So I did, and sure enough, he was sitting on his bike outside the fence. There was this fence that went all the way around the course, and he was sitting there, about a hundred and fifty yards behind me, watching me tee off. That's the kind of red hair he had. God, he was a nice kid, though. He used to laugh so hard at something he thought of at the dinner table that he just about fell off his chair. I was only 13, and they were going to have me psychoanalyzed and all because I broke all the windows in the garage. I don't blame them. I really don't. I slept in the garage the night he died. I broke all the goddamn windows with my fist just for the hell of it. I even tried to break all the windows of the station wagon we had that summer but my hand was already broken and everything by that time, and I couldn't do it. It was a very stupid thing to do, I'll admit, but I hardly didn't even know I was doing it. And you didn't know Allie. My hand still hurts me once in a while when it rains and all. I can't make a real fist anymore. Not a tight one, I mean. But outside of that, I don't care much. I mean, I'm not going to be a goddamn surgeon or a violinist or anything anyway. Anyway, that's what I wrote Stratlatter's composition about. Old Allie's baseball mitt. I happened to have it with me, in my suitcase, so I got it out and copied down the poems that were written on it. All I had to do was change Allie's name so that nobody would know it was my brother, and not Stratlatter's. I wasn't too crazy about doing it, but I couldn't think of anything else descriptive. Besides, I sort of liked writing about it. it took me about an hour, because I had to use Stratlatter's lousy typewriter and it kept jamming on me. The reason I didn't use my own was because I'd lent it to a guy down the hall. It was about 10.30, I guess, when I finished. I wasn't very tired, though, so I looked out of the window for a while. It wasn't snowing anymore, but every once in a while you could hear a car somewhere not being able to get started. You could also hear old Ackley snoring. Right through the goddamn shower curtains, you could hear him. He had sinus trouble and he couldn't breathe too hot when he was asleep. That guy had just about everything. Sinus trouble, pimples, lousy teeth, halitosis, crummy fingernails. He had to feel a little sorry for the crazy son of a bitch. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a review. And if you really want to support me, share this chapter with your friends, family, and whoever you feel would enjoy it. And if you really wish to support me, head to my Patreon. The link is in the episode notes. If you choose to follow the podcast, you'll have three new chapters per week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Once again, I thank you for listening, and until next time, bye-bye.